with Morgan streaking. She's chipping the goalkeeper! The pay disparity between the men and women is, is just too large and, and we want to continue to fight. Uh, the generation of players before us fought and now it's our job to, to keep on fighting. The pay cap for the women's Major League Soccer players is 11 times less than the pay cap for men's Major League Soccer. 11 times. Rapino gets across him. Listening to Give and Go with Rotas Wadera only on Girls Soccer Network. Hello and welcome. This is Give and Go live from Los Angeles, California. I am your host, Rotas Wadera, and thank you so much for joining us on Girls Soccer Network. We have so much to unpack and discuss as we get ready for the World Cup. Not just that, a ton of NWSL action, and we have a very, very special interview with Chicago Red Stars owner, Arnim Whistler. You do not want to miss that. But first, of course, it is my job and my duty to remind you all the greatest and latest content involving the world of women's soccer. We got you covered. Go to www.girlssoccernetwork.com. Check us out on Instagram, at Network. Or our Twitter handle at Girls Soccer Net. Check us out on Facebook as well. We've got a YouTube channel. We are everywhere. And of course, if you want to get all the latest for giving go, just ask Siri. You can tell Siri to play Give and Go, play the newest episode, to subscribe, all of that important stuff. Make sure you get it done right now. Okay, now. Before we get into you know the the World Cup overall outlook, we have to start with how they did against Mexico today. And look, a 3-0 result I think is what we were all expecting. We're expecting them to win that game, but Mexico did far better than than I think everyone expected them to, and they really provided um, a level of defensive structure. Cecilia Delgado, who is the youngest goalkeeper ever at a World Cup and one of the youngest to ever play in an NWSL game, um, other than her first error early on, earlier on in the match where she gifted that pretty much was an assist to Tobin Heath, who slotted the ball home, she was really good, and, and Mexico did not back down in any way. It's obviously tough for them that they didn't qualify for this World Cup, but they were tremendous. In those first 30-odd minutes or so, they were so good at, at keeping the United States out. On top of that, though, it wasn't just them. The United States honestly didn't look all that convincing. Didn't look great in front of goal, almost expected, okay, we're going to get the result. This is a, a nothing game, if you will. And that's the tough part about this. How do you see this team moving forward when they're not playing the best of the best? And when they have played the best of the best this year, it has not gone well. So it's a tough, tough outlook going into this thing. The question is, will this this lineup, we've seen different variations of it. Kelly O'Hara at right back, Crystal Dunn at left back with Dahl Kemper and Sauerbrunn at the back. That that seems fine to me for right now, but I don't necessarily know how that's going to fare um, in a couple weeks' time. 
Then you have in the midfield, right, Mewis, Haran, and Ertz. We talked about this on the last show. This time we saw Rose Lavelle come into the side, and she brings them something different. But if we're if if we're sticking with the theme here, the experience theme that Jill Ellis picked this team around, then you would think hopefully Haran is getting the start over over Lavelle in in the games to come going into the World Cup. Um, we will get more into what the United States World Cup outlook is when we get to our Group F analysis later on. But for right now, you know, it was it was a tough, you know, tough in terms of Mexico was tough and the United States weren't entirely all that um, incredible on the ball. Um, so not I wasn't entirely impressed with their performance, but again, you'll take it 3-0, and confidence and morale is up going into this the World Cup this summer. So we'll see how this goes for the United States, and again, we got more on that later. But first, we've got two weeks of NWSL action to get you caught up on, and some things in flux, some things we learned just never seem to change, and... We start with, you know, Rain FC, who just about, you know, got a win over Sky Blue two weeks ago. Their first ever win in Cheney, Washington, which has got to be a nice feeling. But again, it wasn't something where, you know, Sky Blue could have easily won this game. And it's the same old story for them. They play well as a team, they get forward, create chances. But they just don't have closers. The only one that they have is gone, and that's Carly Lloyd, and she's not coming back for a while. So you look at this team, they play well as a team, but you need to be able to put the ball in the goal. Now they're playing, again, like I said, they're playing a lot better. Savannah McCaskill looks great. Rocky Rodriguez is back with Sarah Killian. The rain were absolutely wasteful with their chances, and they got a little bit lucky that... You know, again, Didi Hiracic just letting in a, a rebound go right into the path of Jody Taylor, who's always Johnny on the spot. So that's a tough one for, for Sky Blue to lose. Um, but again, the rain will be happy to take um, that result. Sky Blue did, of course, score in that game. But again, the following week, it did not go nearly as well for them, you know, 1-0 loss to Portland Thorns at home. You know, it's it's becoming an issue for Sky Blue now where they're they're playing everyone incredibly incredibly close and doing a great job at at just with the with the hustle plays, the 50-50 balls, they're really fighting their tails off, but again, if you cannot put the ball in the goal, you'll be in trouble. And that looked like it would it was the case again in, in you know in Piscataway it was just not great Portland didn't really have to do all that much in order to get this win yeah I just didn't like you know the fact that Portland it, it was really a nothing game for them and they were able to get an important three points for them now that all of their players are gone as well Now, the next big story 
the Washington Spirit are at the top of the NWSL table. That is a miraculous, miraculous turn of events here. I mean, who would have guessed the Spirit at this stage in the season with the personnel that they have, all the young talent, that they would be at the top of the NWSL table? Richie Burke deserves a ton of credit for what he has done. So much credit for providing this team with an overall system that they can execute and really stand behind. You look at the back line, um, to have McGrady on the left, and but more importantly, the, the what's been so impressive is the center back pairing of Paige Nielsen and Sam Stop. They look so great together. There were so many points in the first game against Portland and in the second game against Chicago where they that they just wrapped up where they had a lead and they could have potentially lost it. But all they did was continue to defend, defend, defend. Sam Staub making some great, you know, deflections and interceptions. But of course Aubrey Bledsoe deserves all the credit. We've said time and time again how great of a keeper she is and in the most recent game against Chicago she was outstanding. So you're talking about three goals in the last game, two in this game. They're scoring goals, and if they're scoring goals, they're going to be able to keep you out and defend you. So no wonder they're racking up points in, in the manner that they've been able to do so. And, the, and that is why they are top of the table ahead of the Utah Royals on goal difference because, again, the Royals have just been winning games by 1-0. They did eventually um, this past weekend win by a, two goals to nil. Over the Orla- over the suffering Orlando Pride, we, whew, that Orlando Pride roster looked uh, that starting eleven looked rough. Let me tell you, with with some of those players, and and that's something that we've that we've discussed in previous shows. You know, Orlando is is in a very tough spot. They they are going to go winless for quite some time, despite the level of talent that they have. And Mark Skinner is whew, that man. Get him a, a spa day or something to, to relax him because he's got to be incredibly stressed out with what he's dealing with down in Orlando. As for Utah, again, they continued the the great play to, you know, they have what it takes to beat the Courage, and they almost did, almost did in their first game. And then, of course, as I mentioned, second game over in against Orlando, they were able to do that successfully, but. The Royals, we know what they're going to do. We know what they're going to do in terms of defensive mentality first, and then we're going to get a goal. And, and they have the perfect player to do that with Amy Rodriguez, who is that one of those players who you never want to doubt or count out because she will make you pay. She will make you pay, and it's clear. She's continuing to do it still. If you give her one chance... One small sliver of sunlight towards goal, she will take it and she will punish you. So the Royals have that in their favor for sure. They will stay near the top. question is, can they sustain this pace defensively? That's going to be their biggest thing. In terms of who they just played last week, the Courage... I gotta eat my words. Uh, man, they are not the best team in the standings right now. They... They have not run away with the league as I said that they would. Um, I still think that they are the best team in the league. They are my pick to win it all, but 
the fact that they have not won in their last three games is a little bit of a concern. I'm sure Paul Riley won't be all that bothered. Um, as long as they're near the top in the standings, I don't think they'll be all that bothered. Because you look at that stretch with the with that loss to Chicago, that fateful loss to Chicago, plus uh, you know this draw here where Elizabeth Eady salvaged a draw late on, Dabinia with a great chip assist to kind of set her up. So the courage will be just fine, but early on in the season, I can you know I have to admit I was pretty largely, you know, wrong about them. So I really do believe that the Courage are going to be the best team. There's still just a lot of, uh, you know, kinks to be worked out now that everyone's gone, you know, from the World Cup, going to the World Cup. How do teams make that adjustment in terms of system and, and having more people trying to fill in where exactly they where exactly they need to go? Another great matchup from last weekend was the Red Stars versus the Dash. This was one of their last matches before, you know, losing the rest of their players, right? Their last game without Sam Kern, of course, with Houston playing as well as they were playing. And then for Chicago to be playing as well as they were playing, and they were meeting on this collision course, and it was just a tremendous matchup. Uh, Chicago... Sam Kerr, she left them in great shape with her performances before leaving with the, you know, the brace the week before, and then another brace against Houston, just really making a slight work of the dash in the first half. Um, anytime you play a high line, you're going to find yourself in loads of trouble, trouble with Sam Kerr, loads of it easy enough for her to get in behind the defense that felt like that's how she was scoring every single one of her goals anyway and so you'd think teams would learn by now but nope she's going to get in behind and she's going to finish her chances Houston again as I mentioned playing well but they'll be without Rachel Daly um, looks like she did throw an elbow um, from a couple games ago but in, in the match against the Utah Royals, but the only angle we saw of it wasn't great, so there's not really enough to tell for sure. But the fact that the league added on an extra game to suspend her from the initial one game might, you know, indicate that they have some more information to get more of a, or they got more of a closer look. So either way, um, tough luck for the Dash. They're looking good to be in that top four fight as well going into the World Cup. So we'll see now that we're at this kind of like Memorial Day point, where are we going to be? It's almost like kind of like a, a third of the way into the season here where now we'll see how teams can build on what they've done. Right, so in closing in terms of where we stand with the NWSL, you know, Utah and and Washington at the top, Chicago not too far behind, right? All in that top tier. Portland is looking eh. Portland, Seattle are looking like middle of the table right now with how they've been playing. And then, of course, you have Orlando at the bottom. Sky Blue near the bottom. Houston continuing to play a lot better. And, and the Courage also near the top. So it's looking like a very very tight race in all of these games now with all of the stars gone it's going to increase the parity of the league tenfold and we're going to start seeing some crazy crazy results y'all this is about to be a fun 
fun summer. So make sure, again, you stick with us at Girls Soccer Network. We're bringing you all the latest regarding all that stuff. So make sure you keep it locked with us. And now word from our first sponsor, Striker Elite. Based out of Las Vegas, Nevada, Striker Elite develops confident, creative, and elite players in soccer and for life. After instructing players to seeking to play at the highest level, Coach George Nahorski quickly recognized the need for an environment that helped these players excel at a rapid pace. That's where the creation of an academy that would specialize in training soccer players was born. Focusing on player development, the curriculum at Striker Elite emphasizes technical skills, tactical awareness, mental toughness, character, leadership, and confidence. They currently have the U.S. Development Academy, ECNL, ODP, and college players at Striker Elite, as well as aspiring players seeking to play professionally. Striker Elite trainers are qualified and have extensive playing and coaching experience. Whether you're a club player looking to take your game to the next level and become a college or professional player, they will help you fulfill your goals. They provide elite one-on-one training, partner training, small group and team training, plus elite camps. For more information, go to www.strikerelitesoccer.com. Of course, we love what Striker Elite Soccer has been doing. We've got a Tuesday Touches series with them. Check that out on Instagram and on YouTube. Again, can't say enough about the work that Striker Elite Soccer is doing at the moment. It is that time. We have a very special interview with the owner of the Chicago Red Stars, Arnim Whistler. And without further ado, guys, here it is. Enjoy. So, Arnim, where would you say your love for the game of soccer comes from and, and what made you want to specifically own the Chicago Red Stars? <laughs> so that's a long answer, which I will shorten for you. So um, I've been playing, coaching, and refereeing soccer since I was, oh, eighth grade. Played yesterday and I'm uh, still sore, so I'm still at it. Um, and I've just, you know, it's just a great game and uh was a big part of my life growing up. I went away and did, you know, the usual corporate um, support the family stuff for about 20 years and gave up on virtually all my passions. When my daughters were growing up um, and started to get, you know, into their activities, they both wanted to try soccer. And uh, I just jumped back into coaching just to, you know, be with them an extra night a week. And it became clear very quickly that the, both the quality of the coaching had really advanced um, in a number of years, and, and the resources for women's soccer were underwhelmed. And when I did transition uh, permanently out of sort of uh, corporate America, I was sitting around one night reading um, a blog about uh, new women's soccer league. This is 2007, I think. Uh, but a new women's soccer league that was going to launch in the U.S. and they were trying to get a team in Chicago but needed investors. So, you know, hopefully as a smart guy who'd spent my career fixing companies and and uh, giving advice, I thought, oh, I'll jump in and help out and was one of seven investors and, um, you know, then, then things continued to change to the point where I was the best investor. Um some by choice and some because we got rid of them. So now that the that the World Cup is 
is approaching, you're obviously losing a big chunk of your team. How do you feel the overall depth of, of this squad is right now as you know, you're in a great position in the table? Yeah, so I think, you know, we have the luxury of this is our third time playing in the league in the World Cup cycle. So we're not new to it. We know what it takes to be without our players. And we, we spent the last, well, two years at least, making sure that our roster was ready for the World Cup and that we not only could survive, but we can continue to grab points during the World Cup break. So, you know, we're right in the middle. Some teams lost, uh, I think, below three players to the World Cup. Others, some lost nine. Uh, we have officially got five players playing in the World Cup that'll be away for a while, but we have, uh, in every position, uh, their backups have been getting starts over the last two years, uh, so that this isn't a big shock. Now, there's no doubt that we, we will miss their quality, but we have been practicing aggressively uh, with various lineups just to be ready for the situation. So we think we have... You know, we have the two uh, best outside backs in the league. They, they haven't gone anywhere. We're uh, bummed out for Casey Short that she's not part of the World Cup roster. But I'll tell you, it's a tremendous lift to our team to have her here. So we have a great, uh, you know, defense with three of the starters in place. We have uh, most of the front line in place. Um, so uh, we have plenty of scores left on the field. We have uh, much of our midfield intact. So we, we feel pretty good. Um, relative, I think, to others, we feel pretty good. Now, uh, tell us more about the TV deal with NBCSN Chicago. How did that come about, and what do you think the impact is going to be for the organization moving forward? All right. The, so, television is um, essential for any league to grow, and, 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 you can't, and it really is television. You can't necessarily substitute with webcasts and all the wonderful streaming services out there. It's a big part of the picture, but there's still a large segment of the population who, if it's not sort of money passively on TV, uh, they aren't going to watch it, right? So not everybody's willing to plug in their Chromecast, Fire Stick, Apple TV, Roku, whatever, and, uh, and look around and download the right app and do all that it takes to watch what they want to watch. So we knew we wanted television partners. We had the national um, Game of the Week deal in place with Lifetime. And for years, have wanted to do something locally. And we have talked to a number of folks, but really uh, NBC and, and, a, and a great person who is just all in to also see the women's game succeed, uh, Greg Bowman. Um, it was just sort of a mutual timing was right, and we both – uh, had been talking over the years and found a way to get it done this year. So it's a it's a it's a real change for us in Chicago. Um, it's not just the viewership. It's not just the amount of people that are actually sort of um, tuned in watching on TV versus webcast. The breakthrough is um, every bar in Chicago always has NBC Sports Chicago tuned in. So one of their you know probably two of their twenty TVs. Uh, or one-tenth of their televisions are always going to have it on. It's all, it's all sports all the time. And so, you know, even our first game that we, uh, that we were on the broadcast, 
we had, you know, coaches and, and players who were out that night just sort of going out after the game, hanging out a little bit. And they look up and, and, and the game's being rebroadcast. And so to get, I don't know what the number of, of televisions and restaurants and bars in Chicago is, but to get uh, an extra 5,000 screens and people looking up saying, hey, who's that? Oh, the Red Stars. I didn't know Chicago had a team. That's a massive uh, breakthrough for us. And um, too expensive to pay for. So, that, so with this partnership, we're getting exposure and awareness. We're also getting on the nightly news in Chicago, something else that was difficult for us to do because no one was pulling the news clips and the highlights in a format that was great for the TV news programs. But um, now NBC clips them as part of their NBC Sports Chicago clips them as part of their normal uh, business and they're available for us, uh, uh, to the various networks who want to show the different Chicago beats that are playing. So we're just in the process. We're on the same network with the Bulls and the Blackhawks and the, and the Cubs and the White Sox. And um, it, it just puts us into the conversation in a way that we haven't been able to be there. Now you just mentioned the the power of, of TV and, and what that's going to do for you guys. Talk more about the idea behind the um, the elevated Red Stars jerseys and how excited you are about this, this new kit. Yeah, we're clearly obsessed uh, with Chicago all in on it. And, you know, the front office, they're not all Chicagoans. They, they sort of get the vibe and, the, you know, this is a sports city. You better be tuned in to, you know, the town and, and the nuances and the little things. So, you know, we really wanted our jersey to speak to and connect with the people in Chicago, um, especially the downtown, you know, urban dwellers. The suburbs have for us really well. The city does fine, but they need to know that there's another team that's really all in and gets it, and our offices are downtown. And so the, the jersey was just a great way to connect all the dots and, and um, you know, our goal is always to have gear that is as popular or, or uh, really ought to be uh, anybody's favorite tourist item. So the, the millions of people that come through Chicago are buying their t-shirts and sweatshirts. Why shouldn't they, you know, grab a Chicago Red Stars item as the item that they get in Chicago? It, it, it uh, you know, has the flag elements. It's, it's, uh, it's got the right colors of the, of, the, of the Cubs and some of the other premier teams in town. And, uh, you know, so we really wanted something that transcended soccer a bit. And uh, we're getting, you know, a lot more sales than we have ever done on a jersey and trying to get more outlets and uh, retail locations to carry our, our jersey. So it, it's a big deal. I'll tell you, the next piece, and, you know, it's both about the jersey and TV. Without TV, you can't get the same types of sponsors. And um, so with this local deal and with the national deal that we hope to be able to announce soon, um, it really should help us clinch the uh, Jersey Front sponsor, which I think you've seen teams across the league are starting to announce. Um, but that, 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 that having a great Jersey that's in demand, having a you know, local TV presence, national TV presence, is really the, you know, the core ingredients that should get us across the finish line on the new Jersey deal. Now I want to shift things to, you know, you just came off a huge win 
over the North Carolina Courage, and you'd have some tough battles with them in the past. Talk about what it means to be able to defeat them, and do you feel like this is a huge step towards really making that title charge this season? Well, so I don't know if it's um, well-known or not, but we have a winning record against North Carolina. Um, so we play them. We always play them well. Uh, has lost us more than he's beat us, even in these years when he was invincible. Um, so, you know, we feel like we match up with them very well, that we play a style of soccer where, look, they're going to overrun you. They're the, they're the most athletic, probably fastest overall team in the league. They're they going to overrun you unless you have the ball. If you have the ball, you better keep the ball, because if you lose it, they're coming right back you know, mm-hmm. down your throat. So... You know, we have a possession-oriented team that um, not only can uh, do quality build-up in and around their speed, but we can, hey, in a pinch, we'll also, we're not we're not shy. If we have to, we'll lump it over the top to Sam Kerr. I mean, who wouldn't give Sam Kerr a chance 1v1 against any center back in the league? We also mm-hmm. always have that option, which keeps them a little more honest. It's hard to play the higher line and press us as hard as they press other teams when you've got someone like Sam or... Increasingly, you know, Michelle Vasconcelos, um, you know, any real speedster who can finish uh, keeps them a little bit more honest. So we, you know, if you want to win the league, you better have a team that's designed to beat North Carolina right now, but can also withstand the rigors of a very long, very difficult season. So we, you know, we'll see. We, we are a... You know, a deflection away from going to the finals over them one year. We're a uh, you know, a crossbar and a goalpost away in another year. Uh, so it's not like they're playing to talk the field. Uh, the ball is going to bounce, and we just need to have it bounce our way when we get to the semis and the finals. Um, but we're built, you know, we're built to win. We have a great roster. I'd put it up against really any club in the world. Um, and, um, you know, I love that North Carolina and Portland you know, increasingly some of the teams emerging this year. You know, I love that there is not a game in the league that you feel confident about going into. Um, so, you know, this is going to be a wild ride this year. There are six teams right now, I think, that uh, depending on how the results finish this week can be in first place. It's crazy. Um, and, you know, the other teams I think are going to find their way into the standings as well. So, you know, we're we're built to withstand the league. We're built to withstand the World Cup. We're built to make sure we can match up against the best teams in the league. And, um, you know, but for a couple of, um, you know, a couple inches here or there, we could have been in the final any one of the last few years. Now, you've always been a staunch supporter for women's sports in general. What more do you think can be done in order to help things grow and get and get better in that department? Yeah, it's um, first we can't get ahead of ourselves. Meaning, the worst thing any women's league could do, soccer or otherwise, is fail. Right, so we can't keep designing leagues that are uh, built on a spending pattern that is well ahead of attendance and revenues and the commercial revenues. So. Uh, your first thing is don't screw up, which is a big part of what I think we try and do, both at our team and the league, is, uh, is manage spending 
uh, as revenues occur. But to be honest, we need a couple of things. We need more television exposure. The 4% of the total minutes of sports broadcast is, is women. That's a problem. Um, if the children don't grow up believing that, if the young women don't grow up believing they can be, you know, uh, professional uh, sportsmen, sportswomen, um, if the viewers aren't used to the idea that uh, elite female, you know, sports are as interesting as, as the elite male sports, then we're, we've got a barrier that's too hard to overcome. So we need viewership. We also need the sponsors to um, waste billions, waste hundreds of millions um, on some bad male properties. We need them to start rethinking and uh, spending some of their sponsorship dollars on some of the best female athletes and leagues in the world. Both those things would help a lot. Um, and then, unfortunately, we also have to wait for the culture to change. We, um, you know, we have kind of the first generation of young women uh, that have seen and, and known that women's pro soccer can survive, and they're, you know, uh, becoming moms and professionals and able to bring their kids to the game. So this is the first cycle that we've been able to see you know, the demographic shift and the, and the culture change. Um, but it's going to take a generation. Um, now, it could be a lot faster, but organically, it, it may take a real generation for um, men to realize that uh, they've been monopolizing, uh, you know, sports coverage and for fans to realize that there are a lot better products out there that, um, you know, do you want to see the third or fourth male soccer league in quality, um, you know, playing on TV, or do you want to see the top league in the world? Right? That's the choice. And, you know, for us to be competing against, um, you know, professional uh, beanbag toss or uh, drone racing or um, things that are filming the airwaves on our national sports networks, I, I think it's, uh, it's nuts. Um so we we got it's 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 on us. We've got to get out there. We've got to tell our story. We've got to make sure that the TV networks understand what they're missing. Um, but it, it's going to take some time. But we're making since we're making great progress. I've been at this for a decade with a lot of people, and um, you know we're seeing real change. Now, in terms of the organization, do you guys have any major fundraisers, events, or anything else that you know people can contribute or, or attend to in, in the upcoming future? Um, we don't do look. Our sources of revenue in sports are kind of the same for most teams, and we don't really do fundraising outside that. I'm always looking for investors. I'm always looking for the folks that share our vision that want to help. Um, you know carry the burden of um, getting us to profitability someday. Um, but, you know, for the most, most part, if you want to help the Red Stars or you want to help NWXL or really any women's sports, number one, attend, <laughs> show up at the games, buy tickets, buy gear, you know, rock the gear, make sure people know you're, you're, uh, you're a believer. Um, but number two, support the sponsors. If, if you notice that, uh, um, you know, a particular brand is really going all in to support women's sports. You know what? Support them. Tell them you're supporting them. Tweet at them in your social media. 
or um, or on an email. They, that those those things do get through and they matter. So when sponsors realize that they're being appreciated for more than the usual um, thing, which is to sell their brand, they uh, they notice and they'll keep doing more of that. Um, but really, it's it's uh, show up at your games, buy merchandise. Uh, support the sponsors and um, demand from your television, from your cable provider that um, that they show more women's sports. It's good old grassroots uh, political organizing um, that's going to make a difference on some of this stuff. Okay, now you've uh, got a big match coming up against the Washington Spirit in a little while. Uh, you got a match prediction, right. score prediction? You know, I... Uh, have too many gray hairs that I've gotten over trying to think, <laughs> trying to think that I know what the results are going to be in women or men's soccer, to be honest. But so, what do I think? I think we match up pretty well um, with personnel. Um, I think it'll be interesting because uh, you know Washington lost three more players to the World Cup this week. Over pretty important players. And uh, we lost Sam Kerr this week, so teams will change. It'll be a great game. Every game in this league is a great game. And um, as far as predictions, you know, it's going to be the slimmest of margins that creates an opportunity. And so the higher quality finishing, um, you know, the the more thoughtful passing is going to win this game. I don't think this is going to be one that you can just bang long balls and it's going to accomplish anything. The, The teams are very, you know, this Washington team this year is very well organized. It's hard to break down. Um, it's going to have to be, you know, thoughtful, incisive passing, um, not sort of lazy long balls that, that, that break this game open. So hopefully we're we're built to do that. Um, and but we've you know we've got some personnel surprises tonight <laughs> that'll 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 be interesting for people to watch and something we haven't tried. We'll see what happens. Again, that was the owner of the Chicago Red Stars, Arnim Whistler, and he, that man has done so much just for the, not only for Chicago and the Red Stars, but just for the league. And when you talk to him and see how he goes about his business, how the organization has been built, how changes have been made there, and how successful the team is looking right now, and how they're set up to be successful in the future, it's clear that he is one of the the more important figures in women's soccer here in America right now. And it was incredible to be able to speak with him and get a better sense of the state of affairs in Chicago. So we are grateful um, to have had him on. And, uh, yeah, we hope to have him back on soon because he dropped a tremendous amount of knowledge on what it means, you know, to be to be just a supporter of the Red Stars as an organization. Alright, it is time for part three, the final World Cup preview, because by the time we have our next episode, the World Cup will be on, baby. Can you believe it? I cannot believe it. We have finally gotten there. Again, two episodes, we cover groups A and B. Last episode, we covered groups C and D, and now it is time for groups E and F, team by team. We have some special audio as well from some of the best players on some of these teams. So here we go. We start with group E, Canada. The Canadians are 
arriving. I really do believe that this group with Christine Sinclair has an opportunity to go far in this competition. They are looking to build on their quarterfinal appearance at the World Cup in 2015. They did have a fourth place finish back in 2003, but other than that, other than those two trips, they have not made it out of the group stage. They will likely be the favorites out of this group. Their defense has plenty of depth with pros across the back line, but I think the player to keep an eye on for the Canadians is Jesse Fleming. Still has one more year to go at UCLA, but is already a fully capped player with Canada. One of the best young players in this tournament. And you are someone and that is someone who, you know, will be playing professionally at a big club, whether it's here in America or elsewhere. Jesse Fleming could be the difference to unlocking this thing for Canada because you already have Sophie Schmidt at the back. You have Christine Sinclair going forward. Fleming in the middle could be that last piece, along with Stephanie LeBay, manning things in net, doing a great job as well, as always. And what what else is there left to say about Christine Sinclair? She continues to score goals. It's like she's chasing that international goal-scoring record that has been set by Abby Wambach. She's chasing her, and you can just see it, how amazing it is, just for club and for country, she continues to score. So for me, I think Canada will win this group. I think they have a chance to go again to a quarterfinal and potentially further if you know they they have to be perfect because they don't have necessarily as much depth as some of the other nations out there, but they have the talent to go far. What's interesting is this is probably still Canada's best team that they've ever had and of course our right one of our writers Hannah has been as part of a lead-up to the World Cup, been talking to some players, and one of them was Alicia Chapman, who plays for the Houston Dash, one of their defenders. We have some audio on her talking about expectations and Canada being the best they've ever been. We've never been ranked higher going into a Women's World Cup, but I feel a lot less pressure this time around than in 2015. Maybe it's because it was my first World Cup, or probably more to do with the fact that we were hosting and we had all of the media attention on us. So this is going to be more of a, a breath of fresh air for us, I think, as opposed to um, in 2015. With our ranking, there comes expectations and a little bit of pressure, but I think we're the, the best team that Canada's ever been. So mm-hmm. I think we're pretty confident going into to this summer. Again, that was Alicia Chapman and Canada... Hopefully, expectations, you know, they can be dangerous in some ways, especially the fact that they were the hosts at the last World Cup, right? Expectations were so high, but, you know, in some aspects, they did live up to them by getting to a quarterfinal, but you're always looking as the host nation to win it all. And so when you look at this overall group, it is it is definitely the best group that they've ever had, and um, we will see how they do. It, it will be... A tough ask for this team, but they are battle-tested. They have so much experience in the right areas. They are a team that, when with their backs against the wall, they will respond and be resilient. So that's they are a definite team to keep your eye on um, at this summer's World Cup. The second team in the group, one of my favorites, a team that is going to be a very, very trending, trendy pick to go far, to be a dark horse. 
the Netherlands. The Dutch have come a long way from their round of 16 appearance at the World Cup in 2015. In 2017, they won the European Championship and have a plethora of attacking talent. Um, they have really have their own big three, if you will, of, of star power. Vivian Miedema, who led the FAWSL in scoring, um, as well as when helping Arsenal win the title over in England. You have a club teammate, Danielle van de Donk, who is creative as ever on the ball. And then Shannis van de Sanden, who just won a Champions League title with Lyon, is a force of nature out on the wing. So you better be ready for this Dutch side and what they bring attacking-wise. Um, I think the level that they have, it'll be it's, it's very similar to their men's team in terms of total football, attacking talent, but do they have enough, right, to get themselves over the edge? They did it in the European Championships. Can they take the next step and go over and, and win the World Cup? We have Vivian Miedema, their star striker, talking about those expectations and how they haven't been at their best since the European Championships. Have a listen. I think as a team we know where we stand and like we've been struggling after the Euros and it's not really realistic to say that we're one of the favourites to win the World Cup. Like we're not that far yet and obviously we've got a good team, we've got good players. I've grown myself, we've grown as a team but we just need to be realistic and take it game by game and see how good we are this summer and I hope that I can take my form I've got here at Arsenal to watch the World Cup with me. What I found most interesting about that clip is how honest she is and how they're, how honest they're, the team's assessment is overall and how they aren't trying to set things too high when, when expectations could, again, be very, very high surrounding this team. They're managing them and they're saying, look, we have a lot to improve on, we have a lot to, to get better at, and we will you know would like to obviously do well in this group, but let's pump the brakes on anything really serious and so i think that is a great mindset to have because anytime the hype train gets going and it gets going and going and it can get way too high too quickly and and that's when you roll you, you know you crash off the tracks and things get out of control so for me the dutch are a team again could go far just like canada quarterfinal semifinal they could be one of those top eight teams but do they have what it takes to to win that first, you know, to be able to get through this rigor of the group stage and then get ready for that round of 16 game? That's going to be the main question. But to me, the Dutch should be the second team out of this group. I would hope that they're the second team out of this group because they're going to be a fun team to watch no matter who they play. Okay, we move on to New Zealand. The football ferns are making their fifth World Cup appearance, but have never made it out of the group stage. We know what this team's calling card is. It's defense, okay? When you have Abby Urseg, Ali Riley, Rhea Percival, who ha Rhea Percival has more caps than Abby Urseg does, okay? She plays for West Ham. Ali Riley playing for Chelsea. They can keep people out. They really did their best against the U.S. Women's National Team as a part of the send-off series, but really... I mean, look, for 30-odd minutes, they really did their best, but a lack of offense is really what is going to be their downfall. Three of the four strikers on the team do not have a club team that they're playing for right now. Three of the four. And the fourth plays in New Zealand's league, which, let's be honest, isn't exactly the most competitive here. 
The one name who you might remember is Rosie White, who did play for the Red Stars, but again, not ideal to not have a team to be playing for ahead of the World Cup. You want to be playing at the right time. You want to make sure you're fresh and warm and, and ready to go in rhythm to the World Cup, not not playing at all. You don't want to be sitting on your couch doing nothing. So that's a tough situation for New Zealand. Um, but And it's a, it's a group that could... You know, they believe that this group is wide open, and Ali Riley has a little bit more about why um, this group is wide open for them and also how they've played familiar opponents from the last World Cup. I think it's really interesting because we had Canada and the Netherlands at the last World Cup. Um, so we lost to the Netherlands and we drew with Canada. Um, not that that was so recent, but it's still kind of weird having that kind of rematch experience. Um, but I think those are obviously two really top teams, um, great individuals. They have players playing at, at the best clubs in the world. Um, and I think I think we can match up well with them. I think it would be a challenge, but I think that they might be a little bit worried that the group is a little bit even. Um, in terms of Cameroon, that's kind of like – not really sure. It's hard to get footage of them. It's hard to prepare, but that has to be the must win for us. And then, you know, I believe that we can get points off of one or both of the other two, but um, it's a, it is kind of a, an interesting group in that we've played each other a lot in, in history, but also in the last World Cup. Again, for me, New Zealand, while their defense can defend, the lack of offense is really going to be an issue for them. I do not think they get out of this group, and I do not think they will be one of the four third-place teams that will get out of this group. The last team in Group E, Cameroon, again, another wild card. One of the main surprises at the 2015 World Cup, they made it to the round 16, the round of 16. Could a similar surprise be in order this year? Uh, of course, the one player you may have heard of, Estelle Johnson of Sky Blue, more most recently getting... Uh, the approval to play for Cameroon. Uh, it will be a tough task for this team to get out of this group. But anything is possible. Anything can happen. They did it, you know, four years ago when I think many people weren't expecting them to do so. So when you look at Cameroon, it, it they would be able to advance only if Canada and the Netherlands really underestimate them. And it's possible. I, you could totally see Cameroon, I think, with their overall um, tactical awareness, speed, uh, and athleticism may just swarm the Netherlands in that first game if they come out flat. So you never know how, how things can go. They have enough dynamic play to where they're going to be fun to watch. So Cameroon, maybe they get out of the group, maybe they don't, but... Here's what's very interesting. Augustine Ejange says Cameroon comes with more experience and that they're going to play less afraid. If they played afraid and made it to the round of 16, who knows if they can surpass that this time around. We have audio from her, Augustine Ejange, talking about exactly that. So I think the difference is 2015. It was the first time for us to to play in the World Cup, but we think it's okay, we can do, we can give our best in the World Cup, and what uh, 
our name. So we think we work very hard to to play in the World Cup in 2015. So yes, we are afraid to play the first time, but not that much because the, we play in Olympic Games 2000. I forget the title, but we play work and Olympic Games does make us to get to don't get much afraid to play in the World Cup. For the second time, we need, we, we, for the second time now, we get more experience. So we're gonna start that uh, competition very good. Uh, we are ready to play in the second time uh, that World Cup because we know we can do more, more than 2015. So I believe that uh, I know we go far in that competition. We, I know, we, we respect all the, we respect all the, the team we have to play against them, like uh, Canada. We play the first game, but we we don't know very well that team, that Canada team. So, but we know we can do uh, more than 2015. Okay, we move on from Group E and move to the group we've all been waiting for: Group F, the United States group. Put in the last group, of course, we have Thailand, Sweden, and Chile as their opponents. When we look at the overall group, I think we all know full well when we saw this group come out, it's the match against Sweden that is going to be the most fun to watch. But And we expect them to be top of this group, but the question is, do we expect them to win it all? And this goes back to my earlier point where we were talking about how they did against Mexico wasn't entirely all that convincing, um, but I don't believe it's going to happen. I'm telling you again right now, and I'm trust me, trust me, all I want is for them to go back-to-back, -back, for the United States to go back-to-back. -back. It would be an incredible achievement, right, to do what the Germans did in 2003 and 2007. To be able to kind of match that and solidify themselves as one of the greatest teams of all time. That's what, that is really what is at stake here. But to be able to go back to back is such a tough feat. Seven games you have to play and they don't get any easier as you go through. So it will be, I just don't, you know... The way that it is right now, it's clear that Lindsay Horan is not 100%. Otherwise, she'd be playing in every game. If she's not 100%, then we see Roosevelt. We see a little bit of a different look. Teams can game plan for that. Lavelle does not do as much in the midfield as someone like Horan does. Horan is a complete midfielder. Ertz is a complete midfielder. Mewis is a complete midfielder. That's what makes those three so effective. And if they're not in there, all three, this team can be exposed because the back line can be exposed because this offense can come out flat. They come, they've come out flat against inferior competition before, knowing full well that they were going to take over overtake them and get that win but you can't do that against the better teams we continually say that say they do beat france in the quarters then you got to play england in the semis okay it does not get easier and then who knows you play in the final whoever they'd play in the final would probably be easier than whoever they're playing in france 
and in England. So if they can beat those two teams, they will likely win it all. But I do not have them beating England in a semifinal. I don't. I think a team like that is more tactically ready, and they're just good. they would just shut us down. That is what I think is going to happen. If Mexico can shut us down the way they did for the majority of the game, with us just not invested in the game, what could a an, another team do of, of better quality, right? That's a question that we have to consider. And so if you're the United States, you're just hopeful that they can, you know, if they are the greatest team, one of the greatest teams that has ever been assembled, they will get the job done. It'll happen because all of the little things that need to be done in the games, out of games, the details, the small adjustments that need to be made, they will make them. They will make them. If they are to win it all. If they do that, they'll be just fine. If they don't, and they act like they've never been there before, and they start looking around at each other like they have no idea what's going on, then that's when they're in trouble. And then have a feeling it may happen at one point or another during this World Cup, because that's just how it goes. It's the toughest and you know most crazy competition in the entire world. So, here we go. Can they make it through the gauntlet? Of course, we talked about that team that um, will give them the biggest challenge. That's Sweden. For all of the you know reasons mentioned above, they have the defensive capability to keep out the United States. Pia Sundaga has done it before at the Olympics, and it can be done again. Of course, the United States very well knows this and will be eager for revenge. I think they want... Um, revenge for that Olympics loss it still stings and and with the top of the group on the line you know the United States will likely win this game but Sweden is more than capable more than capable okay they have um some players in England but the majority of their players play in Sweden which is a very solid league filled with plenty of talent um we have some audio from the team captain Caroline Seeger regarding Sweden's defensive style and the overall league that they play in. So, I mean, Sweden is a small country. We've been in all big tournaments so far, and um, a lot of teams are playing really good, and we just have to, you know, chase them and continue being good in our defensive game because I think really that's our biggest strength. Uh, We're trying to develop our offensive game too uh it's going a little bit slower but i mean we're trying to play good soccer and i hope we can compete with the best again i mentioned before that was caroline seeger the captain of the swedish national team she is a 34 year old midfielder and one of the more renowned names in um, the women's game for sweden one of the more decorated players ranked second most um in international appearances on either the, both the men's and women's side and has won trophies in clubs around the world from the U.S. to Sweden to France. This will likely be her last World Cup. So Sweden will be, uh, they'll be coming. They will be game and ready for the United States. What a matchup that's going to be. Okay, next up is Thailand. And now Thailand making their second World Cup appearance after getting back 
After getting there in 2015, Miranda Nild is one of the more important players for this team, who is actually American-born, was a star at the University of Cal Berkeley, the Golden Bears, as one, as their star striker. Um, one of her writers, as I mentioned earlier, Hannah, has been able to speak with all of these players whose audio you're listening to, and she also got the chance to speak with Nild about being in the same great being in the same group as the US have being an American born player and then also what Thailand's goals are for the World Cup. Um so when I was when the draw came out, I was taking finals, so I was already like super stressed out about like you know, school and whatnot. Um and so when I was watching uh I obviously knew like you know, after they picked Group D, right? When the group in front of us, like, got picked, I was like, oh, my God, you're joking. <laughs> and I just, like, stared at the camera in silence until we got to the U.S., um, which was, you know, it was just, I mean, it was shocking, but also not. I kind of was expecting this for some odd reason. I was expecting, like, of course, this would happen. That's kind of like a like a... A dark joke that like not supposed to happen. <laughs> um, but the goals I know are definitely to make it past the first round. Even our bracket is going to be more difficult than we were hoping. We'll get to but, that. <laughs> but um, definitely that was that was our initial goal, and I haven't been over there since then. So like now I'm not so sure, but um, at least that's what I was told. You know, reps at the last tournament I was at. Mm-hmm. Um, the mood is, I'm pretty sure everyone's really excited, you know, I think everyone's ready to work hard and, you know, get after this, you know, opportunity that we have. Again, imagine that. The first World Cup game of your life, the most important game of your life, is going to be against the country you were born and raised in. Against some of, like, the idols that you've probably grew up watching, right? Like, that front three, being able to play against Heath... Rapino and Morgan like that would be for anyone I mean that's just like dream come true has to be has to be right so for Thailand their outlook is look I mean they can play I mean this is their second qualification in a row in in a in a region that has some decent soccer in Asia so in the oceanic region but it's gonna be again tough for them with with Sweden and the United States in this group who knows if they get enough of a result against Chile they could be one of those four third place teams but I don't think it's going to happen in this case for them I really don't unfortunately for them because they're going to be a fun story another um, team filled with players who who have far um, different professions because they have to do something else in order to provide for themselves and for their families that's how it is for most of these players coming from you know smaller countries that don't have the same soccer infrastructure but thailand for sure is is going to be another one of those nations as well last but not least chile making their first ever world cup appearance and um, i think we all know how difficult it will be for them in this group. We've seen the United States play Chile before and just absolutely demolish them. So I think if they can do it, you know, Sweden has a great chance to do it as well. You know, most of these players play 
in Chile's domestic league, some play in La Liga in Spain, but their best player is Christian Endler, who is PSG's keeper. And we've, you know, she is probably going to have to be as perfect as she can possibly be. She's going to be very busy, that's for sure. She's going to be very busy this World Cup. She has to be perfect in the net if this team is to have any chance of making out of this group. Any chance. She has to be top-notch, down-the-line, perfect. And then they nick a goal at the end and make it 1-0 and, and score somehow and get three points that way because it's going to, you know, Chile will be on the bad end of some bad results based on the way that we've, from what we've seen from them uh, leading up to this competition. Now it's time for a word from our second sponsor, Topical Gear. Topical Gear was formed in 2011 by a team of professionals from the orthopedic sports medicine field. Collectively, this team has over two centuries of knowledge in athletic training, biomechanics, product development, manufacturing, sports medicine, arthroscopy, and the pioneering of products in the sports medicine market. Their team is constantly on the field or in the gym getting feedback directly from parents, players, coaches, and athletic trainers as part of their continuing effort to develop products that help increase female athletes' performance while keeping them healthy. All of their products are backed by professional published research and tested by real athletes at both the high school and college level. All you soccer players, parents, and athletes out there, go to www.compressioninmotion.com and check out the T25 knee along with other shoulder and ankle products. Okay, so before we end things on this episode, first off, two things I wanted to point out on social media. GSN, we put up a post on Instagram. Go check it out. Go give it a like, a share. Jill Ellis getting paid 10 times less than Bruce Arena, even though, of course, Bruce Arena and the, and the men did not make it to the World Cup. I mean, look, we know about the pay disparity and how bad it is. I mean, it, it, it will happen, okay? Slowly but surely, we're, we are working towards it. We're getting there. But the fact that she was getting paid a little less than the, than the youth coaches... That is really bad. That is really, really not a good look for U.S. soccer. And then you have the lawsuit, and then, and then you have this World Cup. So a lot is going on surrounding the U.S. Soccer Federation right now. Some of it good, some of it good publicity, some of it bad publicity. So here we go, man. If there's ever a time for for this group to, unfortunately, it it, it is that way. If they need the respect that they want, they're going to have to win it all. That's unfortunately the, there are going to be people out there who are going to criticize this team and say, oh, if they don't win, oh, they're not worthy of, of equal pay. They can't even win win all these World Cups. You know, that's kind of like the mindset that, that could potentially happen down the line. That would be very, very worrisome. So hopefully it does not go down that way. But just something we wanted to point out to you. Check out that Instagram post. Go like it, share it, and provide your thoughts on it as well. Last post before we go. We have an article on our website about what UEFA is doing for women's soccer. And this is a snippet of the article um, from one of our writers, Sadiq. 
In light of the booming popularity of women's soccer in Europe, UEFA has put in place a five-year strategic framework called Time for Action. The aim of it is to elevate the significance and promote growth of soccer amongst women in Europe. The goals to be achieved in the next five years for this program are to double the number of women and girls playing football to 2.5 million registered female players, currently at 1.3 million. Change perceptions of women's football across Europe as fun, inclusive, and accepted for both genders. That is critical in this, so critical in this, because you need to be able to, in other countries that may not be as progressive as, as we are, and we still also are dealing with the same issue, same issues in general, so when you look at that, that that's critical to make it accepted for both genders. To double the reach and value of UEFA U U Women's Euro and the UEFA Women's Champions League. Well, look, the Champions League is already gonna is growing rapidly. You heard about the deal with Visa um, a couple, you know, a month or two ago. So th that is only going to get bigger. The, and then once the Champions League goes up, then the Euro will follow. And I think Euro is slowly already going in that direction. You saw the deal with England. Um, more and more domestic leagues are, are getting more and more money. So um, that that goal definitely seems very, very attainable. And the last one, improved player standards. 55 minimum standard agreements for national team player and 55 national associations with safeguarding policies in place. Nadine Kessler, who is the UEFA head of women's football, stated in the document which outlined the framework, every girl deserves a place to play football. Every elite player deserves to strive for the impossible. There should be no limitations because women's football is football and it is for all. At UEFA, we believe this, we commit to this, and we will make a difference together with anyone wishing to join us on the journey. That's great. That's amazing, honestly. And while I hope that it continues and that this happens, right? It's critical that this does happen, right? UEFA isn't exactly the most trustworthy organization in the world here. They also, along with FIFA, are one of the more corrupt organizations dealing with bribery and and all these other issues. So this is great. Hopefully this is something that can get implemented, and if it does, right, this is something that, you know, the U.S. Soccer Federation could definitely look into because they will leave us in the, they will leave us behind if, if we don't have some kind of similar initiative in this aspect. Yeah, we've got a lot of girls playing, but do we have equal playing field for all those women? Do, is the perception of it there? That's the key thing here, the perception in everyone's minds needs to be there and then and then as you know even Arnim Messid you know mentioned earlier on in the interview how in his interview the media and the influence if we're not on the major networks like ESPN like ESPN has the WNBA the NWSL needs to be there too that's just how it needs to go Alrighty, that is it for me on episode 20 of Give and Go. I am your host, Rotas Odera, and thank you so much for tuning in, guys. Again, from all the latest, go to www.girlssoccernetwork.com. Check us out on Instagram, at girlssoccernetwork, and on Instagram, at girlssoccernet, Facebook page as well. And remember, you can get this podcast, Give and Go, on iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. That's all for me, guys. Peace.